This episode is sponsored by VBMA, the Veterinary Business Management Association. Learn more about this great organization by contacting your veterinary school's chapter or by visiting vbma.biz. Hey, welcome to another episode of Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM, where we dissect topics and issues relating to life in veterinary school. I'm your host, Seth Williams, and I'm a veterinary student at the University of Missouri College of Veterinary Medicine. So we all know that as veterinary students, we have a lot of advocates behind us. And perhaps one of our biggest is the AVMA PLIT, uh, and PLIT stands for the Professional Liability Insurance Trust. But wait, just because I said insurance does not mean you have to roll your eyes. While insurance is not one of the most glamorous topics in veterinary medicine, it is probably one of the most important. So liability insurance, which is also known as malpractice insurance, is one of the things that we all need to have as a veterinarian, and it's one of those things that we really hope to never have to use. But as you can see in our culture, every single day, people love to sue people. That's almost like if you look at someone the wrong way, you could get sued. No, I'm kidding, of course, but for real, mistakes do happen in real life, and we need someone to back us up for when you-know-what hits the fan. So I'm really honored to welcome on today Dr. Nina Mouladou. Uh She's the AVMA PLIT Trust Veterinarian to talk to us about why professional liability is so important what are some examples of claims that are commonly brought against veterinarians? And what are some ways that we as veterinarians and as veterinary students can practice the best medicine and stay out of the frying pan? Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Molodou. How's it going? It's going good, Seth. Thank you. I am so honored that you were able to come join me tonight doing this podcast after a long day. And you were speaking to the Mizzou VBMA earlier this evening. So uh, again, thank you so much for spending, spending a little bit extra time today to talk about PLIT and why it's so important. Well, thank you. PLIT is very excited about the opportunity. Thanks for inviting us. No problem. So the first thing that I want to talk about before we get into the topic for the day is just a bit about yourself and your background. So, so what's been going on with you? Sure. Well, I consider myself an 85 model of LSU Veterinary School. I was born and raised in New Orleans and uh, still consider that my home. Great. And uh, when I first got out of veterinary school, I uh, was employed at a really neat mixed animal practice in the French Quarter. We I, I say mixed because it was equine, exotics, and small animals. We did wow. uh, all the police horses and police dogs. Uh, I was able to go through the Mardi Gras parades with a blue light on my car if a horse got injured. So <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and a lot of exotics and a lot of house calls. So it was just a really interesting, unique practice. And I had an opportunity to moved to Chicago and take over a friend of mine's sport horse practice who was a Grand Prix rider and she was more interested in, in horse showing than practicing and already had a, a great clientele, had all the equipment. So um, after hemming and hawing for a time, I decided to make the leap and move to Chicago and uh, ended up with a racetrack practice for almost 20 years. Wow. My husband uh, was a racetrack uh, a thoroughbred trainer, and I worked at Arlington and Hawthorne and Sportsman's in the Chicago land area hmm. for 19 years before joining the Pill IT program. Wow. So what what uh, was the impetus to, to leave practice and join PLIT? Well, that's a, a good question, um, and I'm sure many of the students will uh, 
it'll be good for them to hear it. You know that that twenty year burnout mark. You know yep. it was it was coming, and I was had a very busy, uh, profitable practice. I was a sole practitioner, mm-hmm. didn't have any employees, did it all by myself. Grossed about three hundred fifty thousand a year all wow. by myself, and had two young children, and was you know trying to come up for air. And it actually it was time to buy a digital X-ray machine that was becoming the standard. Mm-hmm. And uh, along with that, as busy as I was, it was time to hire a practice manager and probably an associate and mm-hmm. maybe a, a licensed vet technician or read another book. And so after I started looking into the, I was very, very close to getting the digital x-ray machine and I added up how many x-rays I would have to take to pay for it. And that was a little daunting. You know, right. I was going to be like 100 years old. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was looking around and, and kind of put my feelers out. And a, a colleague of mine told me about a position that was opening up at PLIT. Mm-hmm. And they actually needed an equine consultant on hmm. staff. And uh, so I applied for the job. Didn't think I would get it. Uh, there were 15 um, people that applied, veterinarians. I was wow. the only female. And I was the youngest one. And I ended up getting the job. And wow. I've uh, enjoyed it so much. I, I, I just can't wait to get to work. It's I tell people it's like going through vet school all over again because we read malpractice claims all mm-hmm. day. And so we read medical records and necropsy reports and the client side and the veterinarian side. Right. And it's, uh, you know, I stay up with, you know, current veterinary medicine because of uh, all the information that we are able to read. And but I don't have to get dirty. So it's, right. uh, <laughs> that sounds like a pretty good gig. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, interacting with the students and being able to to uh, share my experiences with the students is probably my most favorite part of the job. That's great. Yeah, I know that we love hearing, especially hearing from you every year uh, at Mizzou. And um, I don't know, you travel to other schools and, and other representatives go to other schools. So um, that's great that you guys are so involved with the student aspect of, of vet med. So speaking of that, actually, I know that we all know the PLIT name, and you guys do a ton of funding and um, are just you have your hands in a lot of things that the veterinary students are doing within the different clubs and in the teaching hospitals and, and so forth. But I wanted to kind of start from ground zero and and ask you to kind of define for us what PLIT really does what their history is and the role that they play, not only for us as students, but uh, probably more importantly, us as veterinarians. Okay. Well, that's a a, a loaded question, but (laughs) uh, the the short answer is that our motto is that we protect veterinarians through it all. Mm -hmm. We have everything that a veterinarian in a veterinary practice needs in order to be fully protected. And we really pride ourselves in that. And that didn't just happen overnight that um, came to fruition over years of uh, being in the malpractice insurance program. Mm-hmm. So just to back up, the, uh, the I'd like to uh, share the history of PLIT, Professional Liability Insurance Trust, with everyone. And you know, when after I was with the program for a couple of years, I was thinking, what, what is, where did this trust mm-hmm. come from anyway? And the way the old timers um, tell the story is back in 1962, a group of veterinarians got together at the AVMA convention and they had an insurance forum. Hmm. They were very concerned about the road that the doctors were going down, paying enormous amounts of malpractice insurance, their insurance carriers paying out on frivolous complaints and lawsuits, non-economic 
economic damages or Mm -hmm. pain and suffering, which if veterinarians ever have to pay for that in their malpractice lawsuits, it's going to be very, very uh, expensive and hard to practice because our premiums will just skyrocket. So they asked AVMA if they would endorse a a veterinary-specific malpractice insurance program, and AVMA agreed. Hmm. So this group of veterinarians found an attorney to write up the trust, and and they found a, a, a... insurance broker that would find the carriers that would provide this insurance. They had a, a, a vision of this malpractice policy that would be very powerful, that would protect the profession and the veterinarian. And so, um, you know, they, they started it and now we have over 65,000 veterinarians that are wow. insured through the PLIT program. And it is an AVMA member's benefit or SAVMA mm-hmm. member's benefit. You do have to be um, a member in order to be eligible for the right. malpractice insurance. And the malpractice insurance was so successful and so powerful in protecting veterinarians in the industry uh, that veterinarians started to complain to the PLIT program about their other insurance coverages, hmm. that they were they had huge gaps uh, in their practice insurance or their business insurance, like with workman's comp and general liability, right. and especially mobile practitioners and covering their equipment and stuff sure. while it's in transit. So... The PLIT program, our hub, our our, care, our um, broker, actually, you know, came to us and said, "Hey, you know, we can do this. These veterinarians need these veterinary-specific insurance uh, endorsements on their business insurance policies." And so they started out with workman's comp back in the '80s, and now we have a full suite of everything that a practice needs. Wow! Um, and so it's really cool because it's it's. It's very specific to veterinary medicine, and it's 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 such a, a specific niche. That's all we do right. is provide uh, insurance for veterinarians. Right. Yes. The the other basic question that that I ha- would have no doubt that maybe a lot of veterinary students don't fully understand is what are some examples of these claims that we speak of that that our clients may may bring to us or bring against us. Um, what things can be happening out in practice? Um, I guess let's use small animal as an example, um, that that we would benefit from having liability insurance. Okay, so basically, you know, why do we need malpractice insurance? Right. And unfortunately, we live in a very litigious society. Mm-hmm. Uh, the United States, interestingly, has 5% of the world's population, yet we have 94% of the lawsuits in the whole world. I can and believe that, that. That is just incredible when you think right. of those numbers. And um, we, you know, it's, um, you know, welcome to America. I mean, it's it, with with everything, all the benefits that we get, uh, there are a lot of attorneys out there. Mm-hmm. They crank out some 80,000 attorneys a year and they need to make a living too. And a great way for an attorney to make a living is to seek out insurance policies. Right. And uh, it, oftentimes it's it's a basically a business transaction mm-hmm. to, to file a, a lawsuit against someone. So it, it is unfortunate. In our society, uh, we've had a lot of changes in our society over over the decades, um, veterinarians are, are held to a higher standard. Uh, the human-animal bond is much different than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we uh, have a much stronger uh, bond with our animals. I always say when I grew up, our dogs ran the streets and lived in a barrel full of straw. Now they, in the house, they have their own pajamas, their mm-hmm. own toothbrush. and Under the sheets with us. Yep, yep, absolutely. So when things happen to them, um, when you know unfortunate outcomes happen, uh, oftentimes clients are looking to blame. We live in a very uh, blaming society. Right. We're always wanting to blame somebody. And unfortunately, the veterinarian is going to be the, the, the first one um, 
you know, in line when something um, doesn't go quite right. So sure. um, causes for clients to uh, file complaints against veterinarians. Uh, the big buckets are miscommunication, any adverse outcome um, right. that, that occurs, um, human injury, uh, straight out negligence. Unfortunately, you know, for the most part, veterinarians are very good doctors and they do re- a really good job. But we are human and, and mistakes happen. Right. Um, and then collection efforts, uh, financial disputes, um, things like that are will are big, big triggers for, for claims. Right. And so particular veterinary incidences, uh, if you want to focus on small animal, um, probably the, the top five or six communication, miscommunications always at the top of the mm-hmm. list. And that could be anywhere from not explaining aftercare instructions or giving the right aftercare instructions um, to not uh, giving them treatment options, not explaining uh, the estimate. Right. Um, and it just, you know, the list goes on and on, just not being not being clear. And um, I guess that's another reason to uh, really make an important note about the communication log and medical records and all of that just to make sure you document everything so that you're... You have something to back yourself up. up. Absolutely. Your medical records are going to be uh, your first line of defense, and it's just absolutely imperative to keep right. very uh, complete medical records. Mm-hmm. And so in communication, consent is a big one. Um, getting consent, make sure you get consent before you do anything to that patient, even if it's you know a free toenail clip. Right. Because right. they might not want the toenails clipped. Right, right. <laughs> and, but uh, uh, one big example that comes to mind is uh, dentals. We um, That's a very common hmm. complaint. And uh, talking about consent, clients get upset if you pull too many teeth and you didn't get, get permission to pull all those sure. teeth. Sure, And we've had veterinarians even talk about it. They would just touch, the, the dog would have such terrible periodontal disease, you know, they would touch the tooth and it would fall out right. and uh, get a claim against them for, hmm. you know, you think you're doing them a favor by cleaning up their mouth and you, when you hand them a vial of teeth, you know, some clients, um, you know, hey, you didn't ask me. So, right. uh, and then going down the list of small animal claims, uh, communication, miscommunication, dentals, anesthesia uh, complications is a big one. Yeah, Sudden, I've heard a lot of, of yeah. those just through the grapevine that... Yeah. Anesthesia is risky and stuff happens, but um, that's probably the most common that I've heard of, just mishaps, whether through unfortunate negligence or just a weird medical scenario. Yeah, and that brings up a good point. Um, Much of what we do are things that happen, adverse events, unfortunate outcomes, many of them are inherent risks Mm -hmm. and not negligence. And a great example would be sudden death under anesthesia when you did everything right, you use the proper dosages, you monitor the animal, you know, uh, the most you could monitor it. You had a a pristine anesthesia report and they still suddenly died um, Mm -hmm. under anesthesia and the immediately following the anesthetic event. Right. And if you have a good anesthesia report and all your dosages are in line and you did everything right, it's going to be considered an inherent risk if it's mm-hmm. reviewed, if a client files a complaint. And it's not going to be covered under your malpractice policy because it has to be considered negligence in order for the policy to pay because gotcha. it's a malpractice policy. I see. So it doesn't pay for inherent risks. Right. Uh, so that's a common misunderstanding. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's those are great. Uh, and I'll just follow up because I think it's important for students to understand um, one of our most common claims in the small animal area are uh, OHE complications. Hmm. Uh, and that's because it's the most common surgery that's sure. done out there. 
but anywhere from um, hemoabdomen due to slip ligatures, um, uh, ovarian remnants left behind, mm-hmm. uterine stump abscesses if you left too much uterus behind, right. um, dehiscence. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it the list goes on and on. Tied off ureters. Um, I was going to ask about that because yeah. being through... Uh, more and more services through through our hospital here at Mizzou, and me being close enough to graduation, I've I've, I've unfortunately seen more cases of those than I believed I ever would have seen. And my friends and I all talk about specifically to that to the tying off of the ureter, like how could that possibly happen? But it it seems to happen more commonly than than we imagine. So I I'm a little bit of afraid of that. That it's something that may happen you have no idea that it's happening when you're doing it exactly and... exactly and you know the old uh the old uh comment always know what you're cutting always know right. what you're ligating and you know when you think of your anatomy and that ureter is just such a thin little mm-hmm. ribbon barely and see it so easy to to pick up and uh so it's especially in you know a tight situation in that furrow right just make sure you know right. what you're cutting right and um that being said you know if, if you know like i said you know we're human and mistakes happen and if if a mistake does happen you know the best thing that we recommend what we recommend is disclosure you know if you're absolutely sure that that you made a mistake mm-hmm. then it's okay to discuss it with the client and come up with a plan if that mm-hmm. patient is still alive and you need to refer it and make sure we we totally support telling them the truth and telling them exactly what happened and mm-hmm. how it happened. Right. And um, at some point in time, you're going to explain to them what you're going to do to make sure it never happens again. Um, if it's, you know, a protocol in the hospital that needs to be changed or something. And then lastly, uh, being very empathetic with the client. Sure. And, and you know, working with them through through this this unfortunate outcome and, and until everyone comes to a, a resolution and right. that, you know, you're going to, Make sure you tell them that you're going to be in touch with your insurance company and and they'll be in touch with them if there's, you know, costs that need to be um, taken care of to take to treat the the error. Sure. So um, we're all about, you know, good communication there. Absolutely. Because if you take the, you know, the attitude where you just turn, turn your head and and don't want to discuss it or, or, you know, try to ignore it or try to hide it. Um, then, you know, that can really turn out bad for you. Uh, that's mm-hmm. when the client can get even more mad at you, go to social media, file a board right. complaint. And if the board ever does uh, find out that you did try to hide your mistake, then that's going to even not, not going to be good for the veterinarian. Yeah, I, I've heard of some horror stories also similar to that, or not similar, exactly like that, where a veterinarian makes uh, a negligent error during a surgery, for example. Um, let's say it's it's either cutting something they shouldn't have cut or tying off something they shouldn't have tied off, uh, an anesthetic death due to just, again, negligence. And they kind of spin the story to the client so that it protects them and saying, let's just use the example of, um, oh, I don't know, a a pop-off valve being closed on an anesthetic machine. And unfortunately, the animal dies from barotrauma. uh, And you you decide to tell the client that it was an anesthetic... uh, you know, just the risk of anesthesia, that anesthetic death. Um, sure, it was anesthetic death, but there was some negligence on on the the side of the veterinarian. So that's that's one of the things that, again, I've heard of happening, not with that specific example, but 
a way that I could see the truth being twisted so that the veterinarian is trying to protect themselves, even though they're not being fully truthful. Absolutely. And that actually does happen pretty often. Mm -hmm. And and some veterinarians may not want to put the client through more stress sure. of, of, of knowing exactly what happened. And, you know, it may be another twist to it. But, you know, the, the, the why it's so important to disclose those errors is that the staff knows what happened. Right. Um, and if it would ever get out, you know, and, and you need to put your head down at night on the pillow. And so does your staff. And so right. it really... Um, just you know, I use silly uh, analogies like who put the empty milk jug in the refrigerator? Just tell me, you know, who, you know just <laughs> right, just, just right. tell me, own it. And and clients really appreciate veterinarians being honest and having the courage to come forward and admitting their 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 errors. And it, it shows that they're they're human. And oftentimes these clients know that they can trust you and that you're going to be upfront with them. And they end up you know staying with you as a right. client. So right. it's it it can be a win win even in a in a really uh, bad situation. Yeah, and I would imagine too that you know whether or not you believe in karma, but I I I feel like if you you do the right thing, good things will come. And if you if these bad things are happening to you, however often, once a year, twice a year, and you don't tell the truth about it, I think eventually it's going to come back and bite you in the butt. So, Absolutely. Um, I just try to remember that just to do good, and hopefully, good things will keep coming. That's right. They will. They will. So. Right. Um, so. Uh, Pivoting a little bit from small animal, I know that there are a lot more claims for food animal and for equine, especially which we can get. I know we could talk about equine for hours, um, but I don't want to, to to leave those those two big areas of veterinary medicine out too, because I've I've heard of several different types of claims that um, are filed for food animal losses, especially like breeding animals, um, where there was a uh, some unfortunate event uh, at the veterinarian with uh, let's say a bull or prized bull um and then again we can get into equine because that those animals are but some of those those horses are extremely valuable um and i know that there are some some differences in how much coverage an equine vet would need when you compare it to say a, a food animal veterinarian or small animal veterinarian so can we talk about that for just a little bit about the differences in uh in claims you see with with food animals so let's just talk about um cattle, for example, sure. and then also with, with horses. Sure. Well, actually, uh, we the way that the, the claims ratio goes, we have around 75, 80% small animal. Mm -hmm. And then um, between the mixed and food animal, um, there's about, there's 5% equine. So that's uh, leaves 85. And then about that, the other 15%, 20% is food animal mixed. Mm. Okay. Um, however, we have more small animal claims because there's more small animal sure, veterinarians. Sure. The claims go with the numbers, um, but they're less expensive than the food animal and the equine claims for obvious reasons. Because right. with the food animal, uh, you can have expensive bulls, but it's also the product, uh, for instance, that, that could be lost. Uh, if you think of a common scenario, a veterinarian prescribes the wrong medication to a dairy farmer that's milking a thousand head. Um, that's that's an, an error, yeah. and that's yep. going to fall under your policy. Your policy is going right. to pay for for those losses. So it can really add up. And then, of course, equine is self explanatory. Those um, patients can be worth millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. So there, um, that's the way we we categorize our veterinarians into four classes: uh, equine, food animal, mixed, and small animal. And those premiums are vastly different. Okay. Uh, the equine premium is about 10 times higher than the small animal. 
and then the food animal and mixed group or or uh, right. in between right because of the value of the right. patients understandable and, and the product that's at risk right definitely that's good good information to know Right. After the break, I want to get into our next topic, which is how we can protect ourselves out in practice so that we can avoid these types of claims. But first, let me tell you about today's sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by VBMA, the Veterinary Business Management Association. The VBMA is a student-driven organization that was founded to improve the success of veterinarians and the veterinary profession. It's the VBMA's belief that no matter what sector veterinary medicine students wish to pursue, they should prepare through developing personal and professional skills in finance, business operations, personal and career development, communication, and leadership. The VBMA Business Certificate Program reflects these skills and allows students to increase their business knowledge while also creating networking opportunities that empower them to achieve their personal and professional goals that have completed the business certificate or the business certificate with honors have demonstrated the skills necessary to be a well-rounded and dedicated doctor. The VBMA has chapters at all the U.S. veterinary schools, as well as chapters at Ross, St. Matthews, and St. George's. So reach out to your local VBMA chapter to join the largest student-run organization and start advancing your veterinary career. Learn more about VBMA at vbma.biz. So the next uh, little topic I want to talk about was how student or really how new veterinarians can protect themselves so that the so we don't have to use our insurance. It's of course we need to have it for that backup and for safekeeping, but hopefully you never have to use it. That's unfortunately the 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 way it is with all insurances, right? I mean, you have it but you hope you never have to use it. What are some tips that you have for especially for new veterinarians? on how to protect themselves, how to watch out for ourselves so that we don't have to use the insurance? That's a great question. Well, we um, there's four main categories that we try to, or tips, that we try to um, educate our veterinarians and our students mm-hmm. on um, to try to, to use while they're in practice. And they are always practice good medicine, try to reach for the gold standard. Mm-hmm. Um, number two is enhance your communication skills because many of our claims, 65% of our claims have some sort of miscommunication problem with them. Number three, you have to have good medical records. Right. Your records should be complete enough that another veterinarian should be able to pick them up and start treating that animal based mm-hmm. on what you have written in the record. And it's uh, your State Practice Act demands it. You're practicing below the, the Practice Act if right. you don't have complete medical records. And then number four is keeping your uh, patients and your clients and and people in general out of harm's way right um, being safe and and trying to uh, decrease human and patient injuries and so when you when you think about uh, that number four mm-hmm. uh, injuries and just practicing good medicine uh, and commu- and communication and medical records a lot of it really I've noticed boils down to just being safe and 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 timely and taking your time. Um, and you know we get in a rush, and and that's when we make mistakes and medical right. errors. That's when we can miscommunicate, or our clients think we're miscommunicating, or we don't have time to write things in the medical record, or that we can in, our patients can be injured, or, or people can be injured because we're not being safe. So, right. um, it's really kind of an interesting phenomenon that just be, slow down, take your time, right? You know, and uh, that's going to help you. Um, not make mistakes. Right. So practice good medicine, good communication skills, 
records. You have to keep good records and be safe. Good. I have two follow-up questions on that. One is on the record keeping. Now, I know what I'm about to say is hopefully very rare these days, but I'm talking about the difference in handwritten records versus electronic records. Do you find or do you know that for those practices that are still using written handwritten records, that their, uh, their detail in record keeping is less that than uh, those that are using electronic records? Is it, is it harder to keep detailed records to the standard that we have today using written record or handwritten records? Um, and is it, I guess, better for us, not only for our medicine, but and record keeping and communication to be using electronic medical records? That, that's a loaded question. And uh, I don't know if I can answer it completely for you. Uh, I was just at the VBMA alumni conference today and, and, and Dr. Jim Wilson was actually talking about that, that um, they, it doesn't matter if they're electronic or written, they need to be complete. Okay. And there's advantages and disadvantages to both. And um, but of course, you know, the standard is becoming more and more electronic. Right. However, uh, sometimes you just can't get everything in there. Um, and and we see, uh, you know, probably the, the, the best records we see are a little bit of both where there's an electronic format mm-hmm. and then there's medical notes to back up um, a lot of what's in the electronic. Right. Uh, record does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, but we've seen some horrendous electronic records, and we've seen some horrendous written records, and right. we've seen really good of both too. So it's so all it's over the board, <laughs> right? And it's just uh, you know more is better, and and just being as complete as you can, and putting as much factual information in there as possible. Sure. Stay away from negative or personal comments, um, things like that, because that can can get you in trouble. So just remember that your records are um, subject to be subpoenaed mm-hmm. in, in uh, legal a documents. Yep. Yeah. And um, so you just, you know, treat them that way. And it's, uh, I know it's, uh, uh, nobody has time to write everything down. Right. And you can try to um, get your staff to help you as much as possible to mm-hmm. uh, uh, enter as much information as possible. For when I talk to uh, equine practitioners and mobile practitioners, you know, I recommend because they're the worst because they're out driving and in the right. field and it's very difficult. But, you know, when you make that when that appointment, when they call and make the appointment, enter as much information as you possibly can mm-hmm. about the call and the complaint or what they're coming out, what you're going out there for. Right. And it's already halfway done, you know, before you even go. Right. Um, so if you can get and it's habit, you just mm-hmm. have to get into a really good habit of keeping good records. Sure. And now's the time as a student. Right. Absolutely. Great. Then my second follow-up, which is actually probably a good segue to my last big topic I wanted to discuss with you, is about the different products that PLIT offers for their veterinarians and for their for the students, for that matter. The, the follow-up uh, is from when we were talking about uh, ways that we can help ourselves mitigate these these occurrences of, of using this uh, practice insurance is the example of uh, employee injury and client injury while you're uh, in the clinic. So I wanted to ask about how that works, because I know that there's a difference between whether a, an employee gets hurt on the job versus when, let's say, a client gets hurt while they're at, while they're, uh, at on a visit for an appointment. Uh, the best example that I, I, I know of or that I can give is that 
that you as the veterinarian will allow or even ask the client to hold their animal for an exam. Uh, you think that the animal is totally fine, there's no risk there, and darn it, the animal bites the owner, animal sues the doctor, and, and you know where that goes. Uh, versus the other case where the, the technician or the nurse just gets bitten while they're uh, holding for a nail trim or whatever it's going to be, but that's kind of a part of the risk of the job. I believe that I, I don't know. That's kind of when I went to ask for clarification about the differences in, in how claims, if they were brought to you for both of those types of injuries, uh, works. And then I guess further on, what other products that the PLIT offers um, for protection for us as, as vets? And that's a great question. Um, and so I'll, I'll try and, and, and uh, explain it at, uh as simply as I can. So you have malpractice insurance, which covers you during the veterinary incident. When you start engaging the client, the veterinary incident begins. So that is, you know, uh, for the most part in the exam room, um, even if you engage the client in the hall and you're walking toward the exam room, if the veterinary incident has begun, that's your malpractice okay. policy if, if anyone would get hurt. Okay. Okay. Um, if the client gets hurt in the waiting room outside before the veterinary incident begins, if their dog or another dog bites them, that is going to be your general liability policy, right. which is on your business owner's package. That's for a practice right. owner. And that's similar too. If they were, let's say, it's the dead of winter and they slip and fall on your absolutely. Sidewalk. That's okay. your general liability. Okay. When your employees get injured, that's going to be workman's comp. Okay. Workman's comp policy, which is a very important policy for. Um, business owners, um, most states require it by law. And um, so to back up, uh, let's just take the scenario where the client is holding or assisting the veterinarian during the veterinary incident in restraint during treatment and the client gets bit. Mm -hmm. uh, the PLIT really recommends that you don't allow your clients to restrain right. during treatment in the small animal environment. Um, because if when they get injured, when they get bit, uh, you're ultimately responsible as the right. veterinarian because you're the professional, you're the expert. It's your veterinary incident, you know. It's your your deal, right. and so ultimately, um, unfortunately, you're going to be liable, right. and your professional liability policy will cover you in that situation. That's why we recommend your staff hold the patients because if they get bit, then that's going to be a workman's comp claim. Mm -hmm under your policy, which is you know, gonna make your rates go up. However, workman's comp is designed to protect the employer. It actually is a contract that the employee cannot sue the employer hmm. for an injury. So okay. when you think of it, it, we think of it as a benefit for employees, but it's actually a benefit for em employers. So it's uh, liability-wise, it's much uh, safer, um, and, and better for the practice owner to have a workman's comp claim than it is to have a general liability claim. I see. Because the general liability claim could actually, um, you know, trigger a, a lot higher payout because there's no cap, so right. to say, on right. it. You know, whereas workman's comp is going to be handled right. um, in, in the, under the workman's comp policy. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. And so... Uh, if and then the professional liability claim, if a client would get bit in the in the exam room, that would be a malpractice claim. Okay, right. waiting room general liability. So that would fall under your uh, malpractice policy if a client's bit in the exam room okay. during restraint. And, and I guess just a, a point of clarification, I probably should have asked when we first started the conversation is when we talk about malpractice insurance versus professional liability, 
Are they one and the same? They are. Professional okay. liability means malpractice. Okay. Yeah. And so negligence, practicing below the standard of care, malpractice, all of those three things mean the exact same thing. And it's your malpractice policy or your professional liability policy right. that covers you. Okay. Great. That is great information to know. So, uh, Dr. Mouladou, last question. And this is, uh, where can we find more information about AVMA PLIT? And also, which I think is very important for, for vet students to know, and, and students that are going to be entering vet school in the coming year or years, is I know that there is a major helpful benefit to students that is included with their their a, uh, student AVMA dues, which is liability as students. Uh, so I want to hear a little bit more about that and why that's really important for us as well. Yes. So as a SABMA member, you are el- eligible to uh, obtain the professional student liability. Mm-hmm. And it's at no cost to the student. You just need to have your SABMA membership up to date. And it covers you for any veterinary incident outside of the school's curriculum. Right. So that's going to be externships, summer jobs. Uh, rabies clinic volunteer situations right. any veterinary incident outside of school right and um, it, it's a no-brainer it's it you just it's going to take you a couple minutes to to log in um, to our website avmaplit.com there's a student section you need your SABMA number um, and I heard it's 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 you know pretty seamless to um, get the coverage and it automatically renews for you if your SABMA membership is up to date right we automatically renew it for you uh, January every January 1st right it and took this, me all of 30 seconds so yeah it's super super easy right and uh, the the great what, what I like to tell students also about it it's a great bridge for new grads um i know in my situation when i was a new grad and i and i know a lot of new grads um have this problem is they have a job they're ready to go to work their employer is like man when can you come start working but you don't have your license in the mail you're Mm. waiting to be legal and you can't get malpractice insurance until you are a licensed veterinarian right but if you have this coverage in place the student malpractice coverage this will bridge you over until you're licensed uh until you're the real deal until you're legal so um, it's super important to to have it in, in place, and um, I think the SABMA um, dues were are, are coming up, or they, mm-hmm. you know, I think the deadline was somewhere it's coming up, or just happened, or something. So we've had a couple of questions about it. So right. pay your dues, right. and uh, you'll you'll be automatically renewed if you've already um, signed up. In right. The past. And I think it's it's also not widely known, at least it wasn't for me in my first year, uh, that. While, and I believe this is true for most veterinary schools and their teaching hospitals, is that the students are covered under under the hospital's liability insurance um, when they are practicing or they're uh, they're working in the hospital on campus. But once they walk out the door and leave campus, like you said, on externship, if they're doing some type of of spay neuter clinic. Uh, back home or wherever it's going to be, their their coverage does not walk with them once they leave campus. So you need something. Again, hopefully you never have to use it, but God forbid something happens and someone comes after you as a student, uh, this is where this great coverage can come in. Absolutely. And there's nothing to say that, that a judge or jury uh, won't garnish future wages. You know, I know a lot of students, I know I said when I was a student, oh, they can sue me. I don't have anything. Um, but we, we get anywhere from one to three students named mm. on a, uh, a claim every year. Wow. So um, it does happen. Not very right. often. 
But, you know, it's it, it's at no cost to you, so right. why not? So why not? <laughs> Great. All right. And then where can we find some more information about PLIT? Um, on the website is a is a great resource, and if anyone ever wants to reach out to me, um, I'm more than happy to answer any questions. It's nina.maladu at avmaplit.com, and that's n-i-n-a dot m-o-u-l-e-d-o-u-s. Great. And I will put that information on, on the website and in the, the show notes, too, so that people can learn more about you and PLIT and, and how to get in touch with you. Great. All right. Well, Dr. Muladu, this has been fantastic. I learned a lot. Um, I hope you all out there listening have have learned about not only what the insurance world is like and how that plays a role in in our lives as veterinarians, but but how PLIT can really help us out and why their 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 twist on all of this is so unique and special to veterinary medicine and and definitely for us to look into what they offer not only while we're uh while we're students but also when we get out uh and we're grown-ups and practicing veterinary medicine so thanks again for coming on it's been a, been great oh it's been really fun i really enjoyed it Seth. thank you no problem thank you all right one more time a huge thank you to dr nina muladu from abma plit for joining me on the podcast today and to talk about the importance of liability insurance and how plit can support us not only in veterinary school but also out in practice thanks to the VBMA, the Veterinary Business Management Association, for supporting this episode of the podcast. You can learn more about this great organization by contacting your veterinary school's chapter or by visiting vbma.biz. And last, but certainly not least, thank you for listening to the Vet School Unleashed podcast. If you feel so inclined, I would love if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes and let us know what you think about the podcast. For resources and more information about the podcast, please check us out at www.vetschoolunleashed.com or find me on Instagram at SethTheAlmostVet or on Facebook. You can also connect with me via email at Seth at VetSchoolUnleashed. I would love to hear your thoughts on today's podcast. I would also love to hear any suggestions or topics you'd want to hear us talk about. Reach out if you want to be on the podcast yourself and share some insight of your own. Thank you again, and we'll talk to you next time on Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM.